Hi, Creepers. This is Unexplained Oregon, a podcast with two best friends talking about all things creepy, the unexplained, and the missing in the Pacific Northwest. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Unexplained Oregon. You can also email us at unexplainedoregon at gmail.com. We love our listeners' suggestions, and we love hearing from you. That reminds me, if you're a friend of the podcast and you want more people to find out about us, can you take a minute to go on Apple Podcast and give us a good rating? We appreciate that. Kim and I talk about real-life intense subjects on this podcast that could be disturbing to some listeners. We also use bad language. As always, be mindful and take care of yourselves. And here we go. Creepers, and welcome to Unexplained Oregon. Hi, Kim. Hey, Christine. Welcome back. Welcome to you. (laughs) It feels good to be here. It feels good. I can't believe it. We say this every time. I can't believe I'm here with you. I know. It's it's been a hot minute. I can't believe you're here with me. It has been. My goodness, our last episode was was out early December, and we had no intention of going this long without putting something else out. I mean, we have been like ghosting our listeners, essentially, right? Well, I mean, we, we <laughs> thought about them. I would say ghosting is when you just completely forget about people and don't ever, you know, put energy towards them again. We, we've definitely did think about Unexplained Oregon during our break. Uh, it was an unexpected break. I think we had one more episode planned, and then we were going to wrap things up. So life happens, right? We had some things happen. Yeah, definitely. We, I mean, first off, the holidays, you know, those always sneak up. And uh, it always... I think gets a little bit busier than what we think it's going to be and it just kind of time flies and and it was you know kind of that time of year to begin with but we made it through the holidays made it through the new year on top of that you know there was covid the new variant omicron omicron messed us up a little i was thinking back about how like the waves of covid in the last two years because it's been two years now and just the ups and downs of it and i remember i was like on my instagram right around the holidays and i remember seeing amy schumer and she was freaking out because in new york everyone was getting covid and i remember thinking Well, we don't live there. Like, what? No biggie. Like, everything's okay. It's just a big city thing. Because, obviously, the variant had, like, hit, you know, the East Coast and was, like, I guess, working its way over. I guess. Um, Yeah. It sure did. (laughs) I didn't have my first actual exposure until Christmas. And that shows how, like, privileged I have been to not have to worry or have like that direct contact with people. I've been really lucky and I know you have been too. So yeah, Christmas hit, the holidays hit and it was like Omicron. Omicron took us by surprise. Uh, 
special gift. I think gift. you ended up with Omicron, right? Did you, I you know. ended up with it? Yes, it was a special, special New Year's, after New Year's <laughs> gift for me and Dave. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I thought I had it at one point. I let my guard down. After two years of basically quarantining at home, I let my guard down one night and we walked down to our local saloon and um, I ended up with a really bad cold that night on top of a hangover. So it was like, okay, for a couple days there, I'm like, is this the hangover? No, this is definitely a cold. Oh shit, is this Omicron? <laughs> like all these things go through your head. Uh, but one good thing that went through my head was I'm going to survive. If it is Omicron, I'm going to survive it. If it's cold, I'm going to survive it, you know? And so we're lucky and, and we are privileged to say that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think like the variants have been, you know, scary in that way that the sort of the seriousness and, you know, if you choose to be vaccinated and boosted, like the the symptoms appear to be less intense. And that was the case for me and Dave. Like there really was. Um, exactly. It was like just a very mild cold. But when you got the sore throat, you knew it. Like it was a sore throat and it, it felt like strep throat. I'm so glad you guys, you know, are boosted and you got through it. On top of that, you know, you were also going through a major life change with this, right? You, you've you shifted in your career. So let's uh, remind our listeners that Unexplained Organ is not our career. It's our passion. <laughs> we wish it was our career. We wish we uh, yeah. could just be like a po- podcasters and researchers and social media Fuck yeah. um, experts and like I want to make a bunch of TikToks like I want to get really good at TikTok and it just hasn't happened I'm good at watching them yeah You're better at watching it than I am <laughs> I haven't even ventured into TikTok because I'm scared I'm just like ah, I don't want to be tied to another thing but uh, you were going through a major life change I'm so proud of you let's kind of give our listeners an update on that you've you you had a huge shift in your career and um, decided to kind of make some exciting changes, right? And that's always exciting. Yeah, I just kind of felt like it was the right time to transition from where I was working to, um, you know, I thought I should like start my own business. So huge. that is huge and also like really exciting and really Awesome. And I so far have no, just a little bit of regrets momentarily. No regrets. Okay, no regrets. regrets. It's just hard and challenging and there's some anxiety there, but it also feels really like liberating. And my, my stress level has like immensely decreased in just a month. So the preparation to leave my position And to plan for what I'm doing next has been really difficult, much harder than I thought it would be, which was why I think being able to focus or really give the energy to the podcast wasn't going to happen Mm -hmm. in the way that I wanted it to happen or in the way that I feel like the podcast deserves. And also, you know, I know I'm saying all this, Kim, and you, you know, you have some news as well. That makes my news seem pretty insignificant. Um, (laughs) No, it doesn't. (laughs) It kind of does. 
Yeah, we'll talk about it uh, because it's actually going to lead into what we're going to talk about today, what we decided to cover today, which is death. <laughs> Always a fun subject. But before we talk about that and everything I have going on, we wanted to mention that during our break, we got some really exciting emails that came in. And even though we didn't record anything and put anything out there, our energy was still every time we talked we talk about unexplained organ right. right and it 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 always lends um a wonderful distraction to whatever is going on in our lives and i hope i hope it's doing the same to our listeners right whatever you have going on in your lives you can get on here and connect with us but those people that actually spend the time to compose these really long, wonderful emails for us. We are not ghosting you, right? We we definitely hear you. We appreciate it. And during um, our difficult, stressful times at the end of last year, I, I it's safe to say that they lifted us both up, right? Yeah, I mean, we would check in with each other, but also then, of course, like, hey, what, you know, this is what we got. This is an email. This is a listener. This is, you know, review and and a suggestion and it just really it's such a good distraction for what was going on you know at the end of the year and also on that note we were invited in the fall to be a part of I can't even say this without like falling off my chair (laughs) we were asked to do the Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest I know (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's, that's it that's, that's a, all we have to say because we don't we're, yeah, we can't even exactly. talk about it we're so excited um, we're in shock yeah it's the first annual uh convention it's happening up in uh green river at the green river conference center and event center up in auburn washington which when i think of green river i just think of the green river killer like serial killer right so like this crime fest is happening in the heart of like the pacific northwest makes the most sense to me there's going to be fellow true crime podcasters from the pacific northwest we get to um, finally meet some of our fellow podcasters in person If you decide to come as a listener, uh, you can meet us. We can meet you. I know, Kim, don't say anything. Like, um, you get to meet us. I know. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Isn't that exciting? But no, if you go to www.pnwtruecrimefest.com, you can get all the information. It's October 8th and 9th of 2022. Um, tickets are on sale so it would be so fun to see our listeners or to even meet a listener like I would be one listener because it's gonna be our friends and family there let's be honest we're gonna have to buy everyone tickets to come yeah (laughs) but one listener can you show up just one Uh, please it'd be great We are working on our merchandise. We're working on, we will be recording a live episode at the convention. So we are working on some of our topics that it's got to be a good one. So we need ideas too. If you have an idea for a topic that we haven't covered, we do have a lot of listeners that have suggested things. And if we haven't gotten to your suggestion, there's usually a reason why. It could be that we're researching. It could be that there's not enough information out there um, in a way that we feel like we can cover 
an, a full episode or c- cover the topic. But please, if you have a suggestion, something that we haven't covered that you think would be great to do at this convention live, let us know. We want your suggestions. Please. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm excited. I'm excited for us. I'm excited we got asked to do that. <laughs> I, I was scared at it. first. Yeah. I was like terrified, but yeah. Um, we're just going to approach it with fun. You know, no pressure. Again, we're going to have fun and do it and whatever. We're we're not there to impress anybody but ourselves, right? We're <laughs> we're good. And our family. So, exactly. Uh, of course we want to impress our creepers, you know. We're we're here for you. So, yeah, we wrapped up the end of 2021. We had all the intentions of getting on and recording uh, another Dead Bodies episode. That didn't happen uh, just because of life. And I had some stressful stuff go on during that time. I lost my mother. And and it's so, like, I mean, when I say it, Christine, I say it out loud and I still can't believe it. I know. Uh, it just, it hit us, it hit us really fast, and she was diagnosed in October with cancer, and she was gone two months later. So it, it was just a huge learning experience, and, um, you know, so many conversations you and I had through those, those couple months, and, and us learning, you know, we're at that stage in our lives where we have to see our parents die. And it is, it's hard, uh, but going through it, I learned some huge life lessons and it really got me thinking how, you know, as a society, I really truly believe we don't teach our children enough about death. And uh, I had never been taught about death. This was the first experience I had with death and it was my mom, my mm-hmm. best friend. Mm-hmm. So um, really hard. Uh, and and really crazy and just learning to navigate without my mom is really strange she she lived i think i shared with our creepers before she lived right next door to me and i saw her every day she was a huge part of my life and um you know and 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 now my dad's there alone and it's just it's it's a crazy time and uh it really did get us to thinking about a lot of things, right? And it got us to thinking about energy and what happens. I mean, of course, we always think about what happens when we die. It's always been a fascination with you and I. I know. (laughs) We've always talked about it. But really, after going through it with my mom, uh, I really thought about it. And uh, after losing her and, you know, we knew she was going to go, and I, I looked at her and said, just come back to me in ghost form if you can, Mom. Like, just come mm-hmm. sit on my bed or, you know, j- please come. I, I I need that. I need to see you. And she hasn't come yet, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and know. that's one of the things I've struggled with. I, my dad, too. Like, it was, uh, it was like she was just gone. Uh, and we have a couple theories, my dad and I, I, I don't know if I talked to you about this, but we do have a couple theories going on here and we've talked a lot about it. My mom was really ready to die when she left this earth. She had made, made peace with what was going to happen and she wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was also the case with my dad's mom. She was really ready to go. And, um, after she, 
after my grandmother passed, my dad's mom, he didn't feel her either. He was like, hmm, you know, I mean, I just don't feel her. I don't feel her here in this space. And that's really how I felt about my mom. I just don't feel her. And I get a little angry. I mean, I watch all these ghost shows and psychic shows and psychic podcasts I listen to. And they're always say, oh, they're always around you and they can hear you. <laughs> and, you know, there have been moments where I'm like, are they are they really here, though? You know, it, it does. It makes you question things. Sure. And uh, who knows? You know, I like to think that she's still around me and that her energy is still here and it, it was just, it's a huge life experience to go through it and and to just you know be the one to take care of someone so close to you as they transition mm-hmm. into death yeah and that's really the the biggest unknown that we have i mean obviously depending on your you know, personal views on the afterlife, you know, and and how you or where you fall with that. Everyone sort of has their own, um, you know, belief around what happens afterwards. But it really is the biggest unknown of, of our existence, right? It is the unknown. And I, you know, I commend people that have that faith. It's something that I've never really known you know but I I do have people in my life that just have faith and they really have no doubt what happens you know Mm -hmm. after they leave this earth uh but after going through this with my mom it it made me question it even more sure really what where is she like where uh, did she go back to Taiwan she has huge ties in Taiwan both my brother and I kind of felt like her spirit went back to Taiwan Mm -hmm. my mom and I had a huge trip planned for Taiwan that never Mm -hmm. happened and um, she was really worried about her sibling there so we both kind of felt like if her spirit is still here it's with her her family in Taiwan it's not necessarily with me because I don't think she was worried about me after you know she knew I'd be okay so yeah really crazy and it did get us to thinking you and I about this energy and And what happens, and I've even thought about it, my dad, my parents live in a little mother-in-law cottage right on our property, and and my dad's going to die there too, you Mm -hmm. know, and I thought, oh, we're going to go to sell this house one day. Do we disclose that to people? It's going to be hard to leave this space where I helped them transition into that next stage, but we will leave this space someday. And it just, it gets you thinking, doesn't it? It gets you thinking about all different crazy things. And it kind of led us into what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's weird how we always end up doing this. But it also ties, as we're talking, I realize it ties into, in the big scheme of things, if we're expanding out a little bit more, how we never really know, like, what's happened in the, totally in the house that we live in or in on the land and I know that there was a time you and I had talked about um, you know just the indigenous people that that lived you know in the United States before before the settlers came from Europe and you know you can actually call a number and find out like who, who were the tribes that you know, we're located on the land that your house. Yes, is on. I did that. You sent me that, yeah. and I did, and it's instant. By the way, you can dial it in, and they instantly send you back information yeah. on the. Indi- I 
I had no idea. That was so cool. Yeah. So if you want to even go that far and say like, what's happened on the land before our ancestors settled here in America or whatever, like you can do go, you know, start there, start at the roots, just go back as far as you can. And that's, that's kind of what got us That was a little bit of that conversation happening. And then, you know, I've always been fascinated by the house that that I live in right now and sort of the the history of it. And I haven't had a lot of time to really look into it. It's an older home here in Southern Oregon. And when we first... It has a basement. It has a basement, which I posted (laughs) on Instagram. When we first moved in, our neighbor came over bright and early one morning, the first week we lived here, knocked on our door at like 8 a.m. Oh, boy. Oh, gosh. And, and <laughs> Hello, neighbor. Pers- I know. Gave us a handout of like the history of who he said was the person that built our house. And so for that's the, cool. Yeah. For the last, you know, four and a half years, I've had this printout of the person that built our house and sort of the history of this person and his family back in the early 1900s. And so I felt like, oh my gosh, this is so cool that I have this info. At one point, I went to the Historical Society here in Medford and tried to find out information. And I I just never had time to really explore and didn't find out a lot until recently. I had Googled a few things and back in like the early 1900s, the way that they kept records was kind of interesting. And you were actually, it was like a phone book. So back in like 1913 and 1916, there's actually a record of like who was living in this house. And what I actually found out was, I don't know that the person that, that I thought built this house actually built it because it was a person with the same last name but it was like a husband and a wife and they were farmers. So they, or he was a farmer. It would actually list like the names of the people who live there and like their occupation. Isn't that Hmm. funny? Yeah. So here, you know, about two weeks ago, I had some extra time on my hands and I was like, I found the paper again because Kim, I had pulled out my fridge and was cleaning behind my fridge and this paper that my neighbor had brought over four and a half years ago was behind my fridge and I pulled it out and I thought, you know, I'm going to Google some more and see what I can find. So this time I found, um, just by Googling, I found that information about who was actually living in here in the 1913 and 1916, like within that time frame, it was not the person that we thought it was on the printout. Same Mm. last name. So could have been that this Robert Clancy, MD, Dr. Robert Clancy, actually, perhaps he built this house and his family member moved in. That's a theory Mm. I have. Because the person living in here actually did have the last name Clancy. So there is a connection, but I don't know for sure that Dr. Robert Clancy built this house. This whole time we believed he had. Because your neighbor told you that. (laughs) Yeah, we believe that like Dr. Robert Clancy and his family were living in here and had like lavish parties in the parlor. And like I created this whole story in my mind of this family something happened in the basement right (laughs) something happened in the basement I wouldn't be surprised so I I go down this rabbit hole of Dr. Robert Robert Clancy 
I find out that he did have a part in like building Sacred Heart Hospital here. I actually found a photograph oh, wow. of him. I find out different a lot about him. There's a lot about him online, actually. And I found out about some of his family members. I found out how his grandkids had come here during the summers. And I just picture them frolicking in the yard here. You know, all these stories. This is before I found out that he didn't actually live in this house. And then I found out that uh, one small article, I do not know how I found it. I found out Dr. Robert Clancy was a drug dealer. Um, What? he, He was like being investigated with one other doctor for giving out excessive prescriptions for opium. I knew you were going to say opium. I was on the tip of my tongue, yep. man. So he was being investigated for not only giving out like syringes, but actual prescriptions for it. So man. here I am, you know, I've got this whole idea. And it's possible that he he built this house and lived in it for a little while. It was built in 1911. But I'm I'm thinking now, Kim, that everything I thought I knew... You know, this whole, like, romantic idea of of what life was like in Southern Oregon in the early 1900s and how he had come here to, a lot of people had come here to um, to grow or in the orchards and to, to mm-hmm. you know, become a part of that culture here. And a lot of them have co- had come here from other places and other, like, histories of growing orchards in other parts of the United States. And they would move here because this was like an upcoming place for agriculture. And so I knew that about Dr. Robert Clancy. He was part of the people who were moving in here, not for gold, but for the land and for growing things on it. And so mm-hmm. he also apparently was here for, you know, because Medford okay. was known, people were coming here to get it, to get drugs. Wow. Yeah. That's so, insane. Kim, here I am sitting, you know, this is what I've been doing since, <laughs> since I quit my job. I'm like, all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm like, I've got a little bit of time. I'm going to dive, exactly. do a deep dive into the history of my house the history of the land. I've had this picture in my mind of what I thought it was. And then I find out this information. And, you know, what's what's the lovely part about being like, older now is we've really gotten to pay attention to like, what is what's happened. In, and you and I've talked about this, things that we never paid attention to growing up as kids in Oregon, we didn't know about the so history many, or right? the yeah. the landscape or now it's exciting to learn about like the historical homes and what's happened in some of these locations and who were the indigenous tribes and what happened to them? How were they relocated and moved from reservation to reservation? And like this stuff, I'm like eating it up. Yeah. Um, that led me into a story. So this is what we wanted to talk about today, because we knew this all tied in. It's tying into like the energy of the land, the energy, the history of Oregon, what's happened here. What do we think happens after people pass on? You know, it, it kind of all ties into these, this, you know, what you and I like to talk about, but. For sure. I've found this story a while back um, on offbeatoregon.com 
and it's called Jackson County Rebellion, Guerrilla Uprising Planned. That's the title of this. And the weird okay. thing about this is this is kind of tying into my love of like historical homes, my love of like what happened in this location in 1900. Like, so Oregon was, or I'm sorry, Medford was founded in the 1800s, which of course, like you and I never cared about, right? No, never. <laughs> Kidding. It was founded and formed in 1883. So, you know, again, people were coming here. They were looking for, you know, mining gold. They were thinking about the agriculture potential. There were railroads coming through. So a lot of growth in like Jacksonville, Medford, Ashland, you know, Gold Hill. Yeah. And so a lot of these historical homes that were built back then by the founding people, the founding members in society, in our society, the local society here, they're still up. These houses are still there. They're still, they've been restored. They've been taken care of. There's some really, really beautiful historical homes here. And I'm sure there probably are in, you know, where you live, Kim, oh, and in Portland, sure. I know for sure. Like, yeah. Anyway, so what I want to share with you today, because it was so funny, when I kind of um, fell into this story, uh, I think I actually originally found it on Facebook. There was an article from Offbeat Oregon, and it was talking about this house in Medford. And mm. you and I have talked again, like, I'm standing sometimes in my parents' neighborhood because they still live in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. It's changed a lot in 47 years. Mm. I wonder, like, with the people who are living in these homes now around my parents, if any of them actually know what happened in their homes, because I know what's happened. And if you... Because you've researched it. <laughs> I've researched and I grew up in the neighborhood and I know that... If you stand out in my parents' front yard, across the street from them, mm -hmm. someone murdered their dad in the backyard. Yikes. If you turn to the right of my parents' house, someone died in that house. Mm -hmm. You know, is this just the way that it is that, you know, there is people pass away. They pass away on the land. They pass away in their home. Why is this, you know, surprising I think it is just because it is. It's like still stunning to us when we find out that someone died in a house, right? It is. It definitely is. But we were also talking how, um, you know, just as I was standing there with my mom and we had the, made the decision, you know, hospice is the way and, and she's going to die here. And as she was dying, I, you know, was so upset. But my daughter said, you know, if we were in a hospital right now, we wouldn't all be able to stand here around mm -hmm. her. It'd be one person with a mask. Mm -hmm. So we are kind of moving into that maybe different world where it, it's almost better to die in your home now than it is a hospital, which oh, is for just sure. so crazy to think about. It's just where we're at. I was thankful in that moment that my mom was there with us, mm -hmm. you know. What a gift for her and for, for you and your kids and your family, your dad and your husband, like to be able to be there and be a part of that. Like all of this kind of encompasses sort of this history of what's happened and, and why is it sort of this big deal if, if 
I mean, death is inevitable, but yet it's still stunning when we find out that someone's died in a house. So what I found out is that one of these historical homes that was just in my parents' neighborhood, I never knew. I've walked by it my whole life, drive by it every time I go over there. I had no idea that it was the site of this rebellion that happened in the early 1900s. Um, Hmm. Never learned about it in school. I don't know why they didn't teach us about true crime. Um, exactly. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> but I want to tell you a little bit about it because it's like so interesting to me. So this story is about the the atmosphere of kind of what was going on in Southern Oregon in the 30s and how, you know, you would have kind of these wealthy or people coming in to settle. They would want to grow orchard, you know, set up their orchards and and kind of become part of the community here. Well, you know, in the early 1900s, I think it was 1929, Llewellyn Banks had moved into the area and he was a millionaire at the time. So if you think about it in the 30s, a millionaire, wow. that's, that's a pretty big deal. And he had come into the area and there was already sort of the community, the government, local government set up here. You know, he kind of wanted to have a say. He wanted to, he had money. He would money equals power. So he wanted his way into like the local government. He had found some ways to kind of undermine, it sounds like. He had a, a fruit packing plant. And so he had some sort of business practices that kind of, um, undercut like the competition. I was torn when I was reading about him because there was a part of me that kind of thought I might like him, but he was really mm. flamboyant. He had two Cadillacs. Like he he was really wealthy, came in, kind of wanted things to go his way. Well, this was around, you know, the time of the Depression. And he started trying to appeal to the working class. And he really got kind of a strong hold on them and got them to kind of buy off on his beliefs about the local government and how things were bad, you know, how things were not, how they were not looking out for the working class. What ended, when ends up happening is, you know, they, Banks and his friend, his name was Fell, his last name, uh, he, you know, they end up trying to, um, implement to fell. They tried to get fell in as one of the judges. And then they had, they tried to get another one of their people elected as the local sheriff. And they do, they succeed the incumbent. He's like, I don't believe it. I don't buy off on it. I would like mm. a recount. Well, they end up Llewellyn. A recount. A recount. Imagine I know. that. So I know now that I'm saying all this out loud, I read this whole thing to Dave earlier this morning. And at first I was wondering if I liked this Llewellyn Banks. I wondered if <laughs> here he came in and he's like, dude, these are the good old boys here in the, in Southern Oregon. They've all been here. They're not letting anybody new, you know, fresh blood into the government. I want to say in it. I kind of was taking his side until I started Mm -hmm. hearing about some of his reported prejudices and anti-Semitism, his flamboyant ways. He also owned the local newspaper. 
So I, it, from the sound of it, he was slandering the heck out of everybody. And now, of course, they probably wouldn't be able to do that. But he was writing whatever he wanted in the paper. So if you think about it, he had control of the local media. <laughs> Sounds really familiar. I know. But we're not a political podcast. We are not a political podcast. Trump. Yikes. Um, so anyway... Now that I'm saying all this out loud, it's kind of crazy. So I I read this article a while ago, and I could not freaking believe that this was this whole thing happened at the house right in my parents' neighborhood that I've walked by a thousand times my whole life, like my whole childhood, never knew. First off, the way that the building looks now, it's a business. Mm. Um, So here they are, you know, this Banks is like working up his propaganda. He's, you know, trying to overthrow the local government. And and they do get these two people elected. And like I said, the sitting sheriff wants a recount. And so all these things are kind of going on. And Banks had actually created a group of people. And there were supposedly about 6,000 members of it that were on his side. Mm. Banks and his supporters were called the Good Government Congress. In 1929, Llewellyn Banks also purchased the Medford Daily News here. They say he was kind of described as a populist. So he used his newspaper uh, as a way to publish kind of his commentaries. Okay. That he that he wrote on national and local events. They his articles they say tended to be kind of anti-government, anti-corporate, and described by some people as semi-fascist. He great he gained a great deal of popularity among people who shared his views, and he was described as very charismatic, almost hypnotic as a public speaker. Hmm. I know. So he tried to run for U.S. Senator in 1930. He got 40% of the vote in Jackson County, but he was not elected. Like I said, he had a grudge against the local government here in Southern Oregon. He felt like they were like the good old boys. So by 1932, there was a lot of political tension and it kind of reached a boiling point here in Southern Oregon, the elections for Jackson County Judge and County Sheriff became focal points. Of course, at this point in time, Banks had his candidates that he backed, Gordon Sherman Horn, Mm -hmm. who actually ended up defeating the incumbent Sheriff Jennings in the election. And because of that, that sheriff called for a recount. So this kind of caused like a ripple effect and the sheriff elect Sherman Horn went into hiding and Banks proceeds to write articles that grow more violent in nature. Mm. Banks's other pal Fell was his last name. He won the election as county judge. And he assumed his role. They actually go after the previous people. So basically, Banks puts his people in. The judge starts doing a bunch of things to the old (laughs) political uh, people in position. 
his other guy goes into hiding, you know, it kind of increases all the intent, all the tension. Actually, there was rumor that that there might have been armed people that were trying to actually seize control of the local government. Hmm. They organized something called the Good Government Congress, the GGC. And this was while Fell was elected judge, and Banks was heavily involved in this organization. He was considered the honorary president, um, and they were encouraging, you know, everyone to kind of rise up and take control of the government. Crazy. This is like history. History has repeated itself a little bit. Oh, my gosh. I know. That's strange. It's so weird because I had, even now, until you and I were talking, it hadn't, like, all clicked with me yeah. here. So they brought in a judge from Lane County to supervise the election recount. Okay. So they're like, okay, you know, Banks had got his two guys in. Someone, you know, the the incumbent sheriff sheriff is like, wait, something smells fishy here. I want to recount. Um, they bring in this this judge from Lane County. But the night before the proposed recount, the ballots were stolen. So somebody breaks into the building Mm. and steals, I think it was like 10,000 ballots. Hmm. I know. So they, they start to point the finger at Judge Fell. They point the finger, even though the ballots were never really recovered. Some people say they were found in the furnace of that building that they were in. Some people say they were found floating in the Rogue River. (laughs) I know. What we think happened or what they say they think happened was that these ballots were just taken and uh, separated. Some people took them some places. Some people did something else with them. But basically they were destroyed. They were taken. 10,000 ballots. So what happened was, at first, no one pointed the finger at Llewellyn Banks. Like, the, the fingers were kind of pointed at the the jailers, hmm. uh, two county jailers that confessed to the crime. They ended up implicating Judge Fell, but, like, no one implicated Banks right away. So during this time, even though he, Banks wasn't directly linked to the ballot theft... The falling prices and poor business choices eroded nearly all of Banks' fortune. He lost control of the newspaper. He turned to one final rally of his group of, you know, the good government committee, using the opportunity to lash out, threatening his political opponents. He threatened a revolution. And on... March 16th, he had heard a rumor that they were coming for him. Um, It was approximately around 1015 in the morning, and they had a warrant for his arrest. And so Medford Constable George Prescott and the Oregon State Police Detective James O'Brien were sent to the Banks house with a warrant for his arrest. Banks had actually threatened that he would kill any officer who attempted to arrest Mm. him, which I find like... I don't know, Dave and I were like talking about this this morning and like this is before when I was was maybe a little bit on Banks' side. (laughs) Um, But, you know, then then this happened. So basically, uh, here's word for word what what happened. So at approximately 1015 in the morning, Prescott and Detective O'Brien ascended the steps of Banks' porch to serve the warrant. Two other officers covered the rear exit by the garage to prevent any attempt at escape. 
O'Brien knocked on the front door, and soon Edith Banks, Llewellyn's wife, opened it slightly, limited by the length of the burglar chain. Prescott stated, I'm sorry, Mrs. Banks, but I have a bench warrant for your husband. Mrs. Banks attempted to shut the door, but Prescott stopped it with his foot, adding, Just a minute, I will give you that warrant and let you read it. As Prescott reached into his pocket to get the papers, Llewellyn Banks appeared over his wife's shoulder. Mm. As Mrs. Banks stepped out of the way, he stuck a hunting rifle through the narrow opening, leveled it at Officer Prescott, and shot him point-blank in the chest. Prescott fell back into O'Brien's arms, and the two men tumbled to the floor of the porch. The 63-year-old Prescott died almost instantly. Detective O'Brien scampered from the porch and wrote, 1020, Officer Prescott killed, bank shot with rifle, in his notebook to provide evidence should he himself be fired upon. Running across the street to an apartment building, O'Brien called for reinforcements. As police cars streamed into the area and began to cordon off the street for a possible siege. Mrs. Banks called Medford Police Headquarters and stated her husband's willingness to surrender peaceably. State Police Captain Lee Bown and Deputy Sheriff Phil Lloyd, a former Banks supporter, arrived and escorted the subject to jail. A jail cell in Josephine County, outside the jurisdiction of Jackson County's renegade judge, Mm, Wow. He ends up being tried for the murder of Constable Prescott. Um, Actually, both him and his wife were charged with the murder. Oh, really? The charges against Mrs. Banks were dropped. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Hmm. And he died in the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem in 1945 at the age of of 73. That's so crazy. I know. And what's crazy about it is Prescott Park which is the park and the sign that you see as you go up to Roxy and mm-hmm. Peak here in Southern Oregon. So as you go up to go do Roxy Ann, there's a sign that says Prescott Park. That is this police constable. Oh, wow. How sad, though. <laughs> like, yeah, scary. It's crazy that they charged the wife, too, but I guess, you know... Maybe they thought that she was in cahoots and she had something to do with it. And this is the house that's right next to your parents' house. It's not next to their house, but it's definitely like it's at the end of their block. So like if you're going towards their house, we would have like my whole life. I drove by this house. I walk by this house. It's hard to believe that at one point it was probably a pretty like beautiful home because now it's a business. And so crazy crazy it's so weird and of course like i said as you go through town you know how many of these historical homes what have what's happened in them i mean i had had i not just like bumped into this story i would have never known i i literally cannot believe it's that house that this famous you know case happened in or this famous this rebellion uh, yeah. Murder. yeah yeah i had never heard about it, but again, these no. these are subjects that, I mean, we weren't seeking out to find in our younger years. No, we were. Like, I would have loved to know this as I yeah. was walking by it. I would have been, like, all into it as a kid. We would have definitely ghost hunted there if we knew this information. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, what happened so long ago. 1945 wasn't that long ago. So when you said he died in prison in 1945. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> right? It's all about like the energy and what's happened on the land. What's what's what memories are there? Yeah. What, what do we not even know? Like and and what you know what happens afterwards. I mean, it's everything we we've kind of been thinking about. And I, I also think that COVID has kind of brought a lot of this to the forefront. As we've thought about our own mortality for the last two years, probably more than for ever. sure. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying that and I, I can't speak for everyone because, you know, we each have our own life experience and some of us think about it more and some of us have had life experiences where we've lost people, we've dealt with our own chronic health issues. So everyone's different, but COVID has collectively created awareness around our mortality and and the life of other people around us and it's made us vulnerable and in ways we've never been collectively and then also Kim to have experienced the loss that you have you know during this time as well and and I can't even can't even imagine you know it's definitely something that most everyone has gone through, you know, it's not anything extra extraordinary that I went through. Um, but it definitely, I, I did not definitely did not think about death before having to face it straight on and Mm -hmm. make decisions regarding death. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things that hospice said to me, and I pass this on to you and I had never been told this was we labor coming into this world And we labor going out. And however we choose to live our life and get there um, will depend on how we labor going out. So it's just, it does, it makes you think about, you know, everything that's happened in these spaces. And and just even this story that we talked about today, what would have happened if the story was different for Llewellyn Banks? You know, if... You know, he didn't make that decision to kill the constable and he didn't end up in prison. That's that's really weird to think about as well. You know, it could have changed the trajectory of Southern Oregon. Oh, my goodness. Totally. Like, I mean, in one article, (laughs) you know, I I probably should have read all the articles before I was like, this guy maybe isn't so bad. But they, you know, some people were sort of comparing him to Hitler. Yeah. And just the way that he was you know, wanting to overthrow things. And and actually, while he was in, you know, the penitentiary, he ends up writing an anti-Semitic book of some sort. Oh, interesting. You know, maybe things worked out the way they were supposed to. But you're right. Like, even Dave was like, why did he why did he shoot? You know, why? And I said, well, the the constable had put his foot in the door. Mm. You know, he had said, if anyone tries to arrest me, I'll shoot them. Well, you know, Dave was, he was just trying to figure out, like, he still shot a police, yeah. you know, a police officer. And, and yet he gave himself up. Obviously, he was not thinking clearly it sounds like he was just you know self-destructing to some extent and he had the gun there and it was loaded so Hmm. it's really sad and unfortunate and of course you know at first I was like did they even have a warrant you know my mind was like why was the cop why did he put his foot in the door you know there were things about it but they had a warrant you know, he was getting the warrant out of his pocket. Like, there obviously was no reason to shoot him point blank. Such a tragic story. 
a part of our history of Southern Oregon that like, like you said, I'd never heard no. of it. And it was in my parents' neighborhood. And so we're, you know, what are these things that have happened before that we don't know about? What kind of energy is there? For sure. How can we, how come we don't feel that energy or why do or we? Or maybe we do. I mean, maybe, maybe that is energy that's in those areas and there are people mm-hmm. that feel it, you know, and we just can't or know it when they exactly you know you just you don't know yeah what's happened in your space and you're lucky if you do uh i'm so glad we got on here today and and took it took this distraction of death and energy and spaces uh because we both needed it we both needed to get back on here and reconnect with our creepers and with each other and it just it feel it felt really good to get on here and do it again. Like I said, we we didn't record and put anything out there, but we definitely kept talking about unexplained organ and through the most difficult time in my life, it helped. It really did. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh and just yeah. uh, you know, thank you for always being here, you know, we've known each other since we were 14. We've been through it. You actually came through town. And it was one of the last days my mom could walk and she came over to you and, and gave you a hug and <clears throat> gave you some hand-knit sweaters, which by the way, I'm finding sweaters upon sweaters that my mom just sat and knitted. I don't even know what to do with them. There's I have so many hand-knitted sweaters, but she ended up giving you some and like giving you a hug and telling you that she liked you. <laughs> which was not my mom's mo like my mom definitely wasn't someone that was going to go out of her way she'd show you in different ways right she'd cook for you she'd you know but she really wasn't one to say hey I, I like you and she did that day and it it just it left me thinking how much we've been through together right we've been through so much mm-hmm. together and now we're going to go through this next phase together. So having this distraction with Unexplained Organ, I'm so glad that we are using it to connect. It's been an interesting two years for us, for our, for the podcast, um, for our listeners. Thank you for, for coming along on this ride with yeah. us and being patient with us. And, and, and especially as we kind of learn the intricacies of having a podcast of, you know, being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there. And, and I feel like we've done that with our listeners. For sure. That day that I saw your mom, Kim was like, just to kind of touch base on that real quick. Like I knew I needed to stop and I knew that it was important and it was a perfect visit. And my girls wore their, their sweaters. Oh, how cute. They still wear them every time I see them. How sweet. I know. And so it was definitely like meant to be. And also, you know, we've, (laughs) you and I've tried to see each other, I think twice now since then. And, and you probably dodged a bullet and didn't get COVID. We'll get together soon though and connect. But yeah, I, I think that this is about that connection piece and being with the people that we love and care about and, and being present as much as possible. And that's what this podcast is For been. sure. For sure. So we're going to sign off for now. I love, I love you, you too. Kim. Thank you, Creepers, for being <laughs> there for us. If you feel like leaving a positive message, please do so. It picks us up. Yeah. And go check out the um, Pacific Northwest True Crime 
Let me make sure I'm saying it right. It's the PNW, True Crime Fest. Go check it out now. Um, get your tickets. Yeah. Give us ideas. We're so excited to go. We're so excited to meet you. We're excited to meet ourselves. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited to meet you, Kim. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're excited. <laughs> we're excited to be back. All right. Okay. So, I love you, Kim. I love you, too.